0: And thanks for listening. How will we power our future? Can we create a healthy and clean economy? Climate One at the Commonwealth Club is at the forefront of the global debate about energy, economy, and the environment. Bringing together the brightest and most provocative leaders of our time, Climate One is the place where big ideas get heard. It's our future.
2: It's time to come together.
3: Good evening, and welcome to today's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Carrie Curtis, a member of the club's uh, Environment and Natural Resources Forum, and your chair for today. We also welcome our listening audience, and we invite everyone to visit us online at commonwealthclub.org. It is now my pleasure to introduce our distinguished speaker, Marissa Muller. Marissa grew up in the Bay Area, attended UC Berkeley in mass communications, go Bears, and worked as a journalist in New York City, in Atlanta, and Berlin be- before seeking her MBA at IESA Barcelona, which is one of the world's famous international MBA programs. She completed that this this year. When she finished her MBA, she and her father got the idea of building a solar bicycle, and I'll let her tell you the rest herself.
0: Marissa Muller. All right, welcome to my somba my solar motorized bicycle adventure. The mission was to spin it green. I traveled 1,000 miles through California with the idea of collecting 1,000 clean ideas, sparking a dialogue with high school students and other people throughout the California community to start thinking outside the box and spinning it green. But before I dive any deeper into the endeavor and the adventure, I want to take you to a Saturday night, the night before my primary departure. I was taking the ferry which we saw earlier heading to um, Vallejo. Vallejo, I was going to bike the 80-mile stretch to Sacramento. I say this was my primary departure because with any endeavor, there's always a warm-up period, and then you have the main race. My warm-up period consisted of four days, where in one of those days, I arrived from Barcelona. I just moved back from business school. was doing a little jet lag, but hopped on the bike and endured visiting high schools from San Francisco down to San Jose. So really getting the time to test out the vehicle to ensure that I could get into high schools and then taking it from there. So within those four days warm up, I got the ball rolling. And Saturday night, I was starting to chart my course from Vallejo to Sacramento. And what I decided to do was to hand draw a map. So I looked on Google Maps and started sketching away, starting at the Vallejo Ferry Terminal and doing this jig-jag route all the way down. I wasn't quite sure what I was doing, and this horrible dream that I had the night prior, Friday night, kept coming back into my mind. It was me riding this rig on an old country road with farmland on either side of me. And then I hear this pickup truck. I'm all alone. A pickup truck, gas guzzler, which burns my ears, is screeching behind me. Two guys popping their heads start heckling, honking of the horn. They stop me in my tracks, and then it becomes a nightmare, and things go south pretty quickly. So as I'm hand-sketching the turns, getting off the ferry terminal, I can't stop visualizing this nightmare. And I'm realizing my anxiousness and excited feelings are actually um, something I have encountered three times in my life. So I'd like to take you back to those three moments. One was in Cape Canaveral, Florida. Another was in Freiburg, and the last one in Barcelona that anxious feeling, and so I stopped sketching my map and started thinking of Cape Canaveral, Florida. I was 18 years old, working for NASA Quest that summer, prior to going to UC Berkeley, and I had the opportunity to lead a female's frontier division, in which I was a student ambassador, interviewing women that have excelled in their profession. So I had the opportunity to talk to Condoleezza Rice, she was then the provost of Stanford, as well as an anchor at KRON, our local TV station here, and it got the journalism ball rolling. But that moment, that moment of fear that I was feeling again as I was sketching this map, that moment was me standing in Cape Canaveral, looking over my left shoulder to see the space shuttle. It hadn't taken off yet. Looking forward to a reporter that was giving me the three, two, one. I was going to be doing a live webcast to other high school kids describing this journey of a first female-led commander taking off into space. And I was nervous. The mic was quivering, and I realized then it was time to launch and take off. And luckily, it was a success. It was a great webcast. The space shuttle took off. Female-led commander, um, Commander Collins, led the launch, and um, it launched me into the world of journalism. So I went to UC Berkeley thereafter in the fall and decided journalism was a thing for me, Setting mass communications And then working for CNN for four years. So I continued sketching my map here, and I was approaching Fairfield, and I kept thinking, God, this dream, it's plaguing me. And I recalled Freiburg, Freiburg, Germany. Freiburg is in the southwestern part of Germany, and that moment, that moment of fear that I was feeling currently, that stemmed with me knocking on this German woman's door in Freiburg. She wasn't expecting me, and with every knock, I couldn't help but retract my wrist and think, "What am I doing? Is she even going to open the door? And is my German even good—good enough to interview her?" I had a TV camera on one shoulder and my own personal camera and a journalistic notebook in my hand. So I knocked, and again, that fear was building, building. And then she opened the door. I rapped out with her in German. The interview was a success, and I covered a story on Freiburg, the solar city of Germany. Now, why was I there? What was this for? It was a fellowship I was awarded. uh, While at CNN, I was granted the Arthur F. Burns Fellowship in 2007, where I went to Germany for three months, worked for Reuters TV in Berlin, where they pretty much put the ball in my court and said, you're an American, we're trying to beef up our international news, What stories do you find interesting? Whatever they are, go attack them and we'll put them on our world feed and hopefully get some more coverage. So I did some fun local stories within Berlin and then came across the fact that Germany is a solar leader. They're a market leader in solar and I found that rather astonishing. I think of Germany, dreary days, some rainfall, a good beer in hand and hanging out at a beer garden, not necessarily the sunny, hot destination. So I dug deeper and uh, did a few stories locally, again, within Berlin of east, uh, the government promoting East Germany and trying to get some infrastructure and development there. And then I came across the solar city in Freiburg, and I went down there and pursued a story. And the highlight was Rolf Diesch. He was an architect, and that woman's door I was knocking on, she was living in one of his settlements called the Solar Settlement, which was 50-plus energy homes. But let me take you to Rolf Diesch. His house... He built this in 1994. It's called the heliotrope, and if you visualize it, you can think of a cylindrical base the size of a can of soup and then a big trash can on top of that. And that base actually has a motor, and the house rotates 360 degrees. The reason it's rotating, it's tracking the sun, trying to have a natural heating and cooling effect. So one side is covered in windows to absorb the sun rays, and the back side is actually insulated deflecting the rays. So um, let's say on a hot day, when they naturally want to turn on the air conditioning, they'll instead track the sun with the insulated back, deflecting the sun's rays so as not to increase the house temperature. Vice versa, in a cold winter day when they want as much of the sun as possible to warm up the house, they track it with the opened window side. So I was pretty astonished. And then I tipped my head back and my jaw dropped. On top of this house was a solar panel, two billboard size, solar panel, massive. And uh, the interior is just gutted, really lean and clean. They have uh, gray water systems. They actually don't have a freezer, because a freezer is one of the appliances in our household, which sucks a lot a lot of electricity. Um, Frau Dish, Rolf Dish's wife, is not so pleased, apparently, since she misses her margaritas on ice. But she copes. She copes for the fact that this house is a plus energy home, they make six times the amount of energy that they use. And roughly every year, they um, make just under $10,000 by selling the excess electricity to the utility. So Rolf Diesch has made his impression as Mark in Freiburg. He developed a solar settlement where I interviewed that woman who was just someone like you or I who bought into this house and is actually making money. So again, I went back to sketching, thinking, OK, I've done this before. I can, I can go down this road. I can make it all the way to Sacramento, the far stretch, without being able to call dad. If I'm alone, I I can still do it. And I thought of the third stage, that third time I felt that anxiety, that fear, and that was just recently in Barcelona. The moment, I was standing before some angel investors, and I was about to speak and divulge my business plan. My voice, I kept visualizing no words coming out. As the last investor sat down, I was getting nervous. That same fear I was feeling with my map, I could feel it in the pit of my stomach creeping up, and I just was hopeful that when they gave me the high sign to begin, my voice would carry me through. Well, it did. Again, it launched me to a new level and launched me into solar and electric vehicles. The reason I was there was for business school, where I did a master's program and had the opportunity to develop a plan based upon which is a bicycle model, a communal bike share program in Barcelona. They have it throughout Europe and actually coming into the U.S. now. And the idea is every couple blocks they have um, bikes and you can take it. You have to be a resident for 25 euros a year. You can get a card and take a bike at your free will, cruise it around the city for 30 minutes, deposit it anywhere else, and then go into the office or bike back home. So I realized there that most of these bikes were idle during the day. They're primarily commuter vehicles. And so the business plan I had developed was, instead of having traditional bicycles, why don't we get electric bikes? The EU is putting a clamp down on uh, scooters and motos, so this would be a clean alternative. And instead of just having a traditional bike rack, have an actual docking station. So it still has the, the rack where you lock the bike, but it also has a solar roof. So when these bikes are sitting idle during the prime Mediterranean climate, the sun is hitting those solar panels, you're actually charging the bike. And after work, you have a full battery taking you home. So that's where my whole my somba, the whole idea stemmed from. But back to my map. I continued sketching, and by this point I had reached Sacramento in my Google Map hand-drawn sketch. And um, my mom put her shoulder or her arm on my shoulder. I knew she was nervous, she wasn't so keen on the idea of me going solo cruising the the streets, and she was excited that I finally had returned from Barcelona and now was on another adventure. And she told me, she looked me in the eye and said, you're going to be fine. Just ride with confidence and a mean face. <laughs> I said, OK, mean face, I got that. So I did that quite often. Any time I mounted the bike, I was a bat out of hell. I was going. I wasn't vulnerable. That story of uh, the vision of a big, big pickup truck behind me, it wasn't going to happen. And then I took it to the next level, and anytime time I saw a police officer, I was very open to give a friendly wave. And this was my first officer I met in Sacramento. He's a bike cop, and um, he was outside the Capitol. And I decided to just have him check my hand sketch map for the following day. It became a nightly rit- ritual to hand sketch these maps. And he gave me the seal of approval that the route I was taking to Stockton was safe. There weren't any bad roads. And he also gave me the station number, just in case anything would have evolved. He was going to be there for me. Uh, And again, I ran into a couple other officers and kept that momentum. So like Mom said, ride with confidence. And my confidence was built upon those four days when I was cruising around the peninsula here. Let me tell you a bit about this bike. The bike, it's called a Picycle from Pi Mobility. And um, through a family friend, I was made aware of this bicycle. And the real selling factor is it's made in California. It's a Sausalito, California-based company, just over the water here, and um, was able to meet the owner and was completely sold upon first sight, primarily for the physique. I think it looks good. Looks are sometimes important, and I think uh, that the arch, it's definitely a conversational piece. I found that at Red Lights or any cafe, people would actually come running out of their cars to inquire further about what this bike was doing. And was it electric? Because it was so quiet. The power. The power also compelled me to go for this bike for the sake it's a 500 watt motor. The motor's in the front hub. And 500 watts means on a flat, I could go just over 20 miles per hour. And mind you, the bike is 60 pounds. The trailer is 100 pounds. I'm not the lightest, so that's on top of it. and. Um, I still was cruising and powering and I never had to dismount the bike. I could get up all hills, but I didn't use it just purely as an electric bike. I used it as a hybrid, so I was cycling with it the whole time because the main feature was I was trying to charge the batteries by the sun. So I didn't want to deplete the batteries. If anything, I wanted to get off the throttle and try to use my own strength to get the range a little bit further. So what I did with the help of dad, I am by no means an engineer and Dad and I should maybe take a course on solar engineering. We had a few failures, but we learned a lot in the process. It was fun to hang out in the garage. But what we did was pull the wiring out of the main frame of the bike. It's traditionally housed in this yellow cavity here. Pull out the wires into a trailer. Afterwards, you can come take a peek. But inside, I have two 20 amp hour lithium iron phosphate batteries. The reason I chose lithium iron phosphate, it's The latest battery in the market that's clean, because that's one of the big barriers, is just the disposal of batteries. What do we do with all this waste? Um, So they're also clean and light, even though 20 amp hour battery weighs roughly 30 pounds. So it's not the lightest thing. Um, We then built a casing, an aluminum briefcase, more or less, to create a heat sink, because batteries get hot when they're really in high use. And um, I was definitely using them. So I didn't want any fires in the back of the trailer, so this created the heat sink. And we connected the batteries to the solar panel. I would actually get off the bike and toggle back and forth a depleted battery to the solar panel and have a, a pure-charged one connected to the motor, kicking that into gear. So it was a, a great adventure. And here on Expo, you can see this is when I went to high schools, I would reel out this roll and go through my Freiburg experience, what compelled me to get into solar, just to run down nuts and bolts of how solar works what an e-vehicle, an e-bike entails with the the battery and the motor, and then some thought-provoking facts to get them thinking outside the box and generate that dialogue. So my adventure began with a tour of California. It couldn't have been more fitting. I graduated from business school, like I said. I had one day to get the bike going and hopped on it with the opening of the tour of California, biking from San Francisco down to Santa Cruz. So I was right behind Lance and the team, and I was throttling trying to keep up with them and they took off and I was biking alone down highway one and had my first flat tire and um, it was a rear flat it's a bit complicated with all the wiring and I phoned dad that was the first call dad you know I'm not really sure Shimano braking system hydraulics I don't know what I'm doing I had a bit of a phobia for changing flat tires that quickly changed but dad came to my rescue We were able to manage and I went to my first high school and I figured out the best way to get into high schools was to cold call a high school. I had tried to email or talk to people, but I then went on this email circuit from one science teacher to the next. I'm not sure if it'll fit in my class, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a bit of a security question. Who is this girl? What's inside this trailer? I actually got to experience a lockdown at the Fresno High School. So I know that that is a bit of a fear. So I realized the best bet is just to go bike to the admissions office, asked the man or woman running the front desk, say, hey, come check out my ride. Do you mind if I come find a a science teacher? And it was incredible. I went to 16 schools, was rejected by two, saying they just didn't have time for me, they were unsure, But 14 said, absolutely, come on in, it's the end of the year. We'd love for you to be a substitute. And the teachers were like, take the hour, you know, take your time. And then a couple other teachers would piggyback. So typically when I went to high school, I spoke to four or five different classes, hung out with them during the lunch hour, would cruise up and down the high, the hallways and clock my speeds. So I was feeling the momentum and I was feeling good. Here I am at um, presentation, yeah, presentation High School, an all-girls school, and the enthusiasm felt there was incredible. I then went to Woodside High School here in the neighborhood. It was my first wheel into a classroom, which worked. It was incredible. We didn't really design it to fit through doorways, but the solar panel squeezes right through perfectly. And then uh, before my big departure to Sacramento I stopped by Abraham Lincoln High School in San Francisco and it couldn't have been more timely for the sake that day was Earth Day and they're exhibiting everything else going on so I had my own booth talking about my mission and next to me was good old Brad right there in trash bags he was talking about plastic trash bags and the effects it has on our own environment and uh, it stuck with me some of his facts he said about we each go through 1200 trash bags a year so every three days we're tossing a trash bag, and he told me that it takes one plastic water bottle of petroleum to create a trash bag. so there's a lot of petroleum going in there, and if we don't recycle them properly, it takes a thousand years to degrade. He was selling, and he was definitely promoting us to, to get off those trash bags. Behind him was another gentleman who was talking about biofuels, and um, he was actually made some biofuels with canola oil and some other ingredients. So the hype was there. Uh, My farewell was walking by a bicycle. They had retrofitted as well. And there was this girl pedaling insane as fast as she could, sweat beating down. And they had a blender behind her making some smoothies to cool us all down after. So I felt good. The confidence was there. Mom was right. Ride with confidence and ride with a mean face. And so I took off. I successfully mapped my way to Sacramento. And like I said earlier, that became a tradition. Every night I would take the time to kind of get in the zone, understand where I was going, the terrain I was going through, and um, carry my trusty map in the back of my pocket. I decided to ride through the Central Valley and then take the coast down because this was a real mission for me to get back to California. I'd been gone for seven years and really see what was going on. I was uh, planning with some classmates back in Barcelona that perhaps after we graduated, We should go to Africa or South America. And, you know, I was daydreaming, thinking, yes, yes, sign me up for all those trips. Then I realized, why am I always escaping the U.S.? I haven't been to all 50 states, and I haven't actually seen all the towns in California. So I decided to make this a solo journey to really reflect on my MBA and make sure uh, the next career move is the right one, and also to kind of see what's going on in California. And I saw a lot. Um... And I also was trying to strategize and being, you know, very philosophical. I didn't have uh, iPods, so the independent time on the bike. was trying to really see what my strengths and weaknesses are, you know, going through all this stuff. And I had some funny thoughts come into mind that weren't quite there. One, I was following the railroad tracks most of the time to the Central Valley, and I couldn't help but contemplate how long it takes to lay down one mile of railroad tracks. So that took me about one day of debating and thinking about Another accounting came into my mind. What's the per mile depreciation rate of my bicycle? And then guesstimation. I'm not very good with guesstimating that how many jelly beans are in the jar. And so I debated a lot every time I'd bike by a ranch, how many cows are in that ranch? And so, yes, I would come up with a number and then take a water break by the ranch and try to see if I came close to the number. So I had a good time, kept myself fully entertained, and really realizing with my head up that California offers a lot. And what hit me the most was our production of crops, primarily seasonal fruits and vegetables, and it was timely. I hit cherry season, strawberry, and blueberry season. So I would get off the bike and hop um, and help out any way I could. So I did some cherry picking. I actually picked down a tree with a bucket in front of my belly, um, strawberries and blueberries, and then learned some fun facts along the way. That strawberries, you know, it's a major crop for California, And actually, in one year, if we lined up all the strawberries picked and produced, it would actually circle the world 15 times if we lined them up stem to stem. So, quite incredible. And I just didn't realize in my own backyard, we are a mad strawberry house. Similar with blueberries. um, Bing cherries, I'm sorry, cherries. Bing cherries are um, a special crop here in California. And there are acres upon acres of these cherries. And actually, the largest export, besides in U.S. consumption—it's to Japan. Japan likes California Bing cherries, so I found that all curious, learning on the way. And as I, you know, continued riding, stopping at these high schools, I would generate that dialogue and have people start brainstorming ideas. And I couldn't agree more with Catherine Smith with her idea of eating locally and growing our own produce from our own backyard. And she was discussing the idea of her high school they have their own garden, and why don't they chop up those vegetables and have them in the cafeteria lunch? So that was gonna be her new initiative in the fall. Kindness of Strangers was incredible. I never had that pickup behind me with some horrific things going on. Instead, I ran into great people that actually said they were living vicariously through this adventure. Balico Brad, he was quite incredible. I told you a bit about my phobia with changing flat tires. Now it was just outside of Merced. I couldn't quickly call dad for an assistance to make sure I was doing the tire right. So I got a hissing flat and uh, hopped off and started walking, and it wasn't quite a destination where you can actually change a flat tire. So I started pushing the bike and, you know, doing my random thoughts, questions in my mind. And I pushed for just over a mile and then found this driveway, and it was a farm, home, and supply store. I said, great, whatever, it's a space to change this flat tire. So I pulled off, and Brad came out, jolly fellow, told me right on the spot, that is a goat head thistle that pierced your back wheel. My grandchildren always get it. I know how to help you. I'm like, great, Brad. I could really use some help. So we sat and did it together, and he told me a little bit about Balico. And mom's words resonated. He said, two weeks prior, there was a big meth bust, and a week after that, there was a dead body found in the bushes I'd be passing 100, 100 yards on my left. So mean face, I took off, thanked Balico Brad, and was off. I made it then into Merced and had a few troubles with the bike, primarily because the trailer, like I said, it weighs 100 pounds. And it was pulling a bit on the bike, making the back wheel rub against the frame. And so it was kind of burning through the wheel. So I stopped by Kevin's bikes. And lo and behold, Kevin was working. And uh, I said, hey, Kevin, you know I need some help. I'm not quite as savvy with the bike as I should be. So we retrofitted, created a bigger nut to hold the weight and hung out and learned a bit more about bikes. So I was gaining confidence, and I figured, OK, show me one more time how to change a flat. We did some practice flat changes, and uh, the confidence was growing. And then Dan, you saw in the earlier in the video, he is from Rent-A-Husband. And um, I was sitting in Newport Beach. I had just crossed the, the journey that day was from Manhattan Beach to Newport Beach. And I went through Long Beach. And they say Highway 1. You think, beautiful, right along the coast. Oh, no. You go inland a little bit, there's rivets, divots, potholes, and I abused the back trailer, actually punctured through this rear frame, so it was kind of flopping, and then one of the back arms, I shard a a bolt. So I rolled into Newport, Newport Beach very gingerly, and stopped at Ace Hardware, and started running back and forth, attempting to fix the bike, but really not feeling sure what I was doing because I thought I needed an aluminum welder, needed a power drill, and I didn't have all the appliances with me. So I sat a bit defeated on the curb, and then the pickup truck rolled up. But this pickup truck was with a friendly man, Rent-A-Husband. And Dan is a local handyman in Newport Beach that uh, I made up a jingle for him because he spent over 45 minutes helping me patch up the, the bike. And the jingle went something like, when your husband can't do it, your local handyman can. Phone up Dan. He's your man." <laughs> so yes, Dan came to the rescue and uh, helped fix up the bike. But in general, it was just an incredible experience to see the kindness of strangers and Cassie. She said it in her idea so well, and it just makes me smile even reading it. The idea is that happiness, if we each just said hi and smiled to ten people, and they passed that forward, it would exp- exponentially grow. People would be genuinely happy, we wouldn't have wars, and if we didn't fight, we had more time to think about other things, perhaps the environment, and we could actually make a change. So Cassie, I couldn't believe, um, I completely agree with you, and California, if we could just replicate the state all over with all these kind people, things would change. What shocked me the most were the high schools and the education system going on in high schools. I definitely gave it an A-plus for environmental classes and green clubs. I graduated in 1999, and in uh, that year, they actually just brought in AP Environmental Science. I missed it, so I didn't have the opportunity, but it was incredible to see what they were doing. Three of the 14 schools that I, you know, coincidentally arrived at and spoke to were actually doing solar projects that day. Uh, one was doing a solar drag race, so in a shop class, they worked on building their own cars and then had the same size solar panel, and were racing those up and down the tennis court. Another class was building a solar bike, or I'm um, sorry, a solar boat, and they were going to take that into the water and see how fast they could go. And the third was actually building solar cells, and it was quite incredible using raspberry acid and some other elements, and we're actually getting volts out of um, the cells. And so I was inquiring further with teachers just to see what was really pushing this cur- curriculum. And I realized then, even in talking to the teachers, their enthusiasm and their excitement for the industry, clean tech, renewables was outstanding. They're so knowledgeable and really spreading that to all the students around them, which is really encouraging to see. And then I also learned about PG&E and the California Department of Education. They've paired up and in five schools are integrating a new energy academy, so giving grants and a curriculum, again, to further push and have our energy thinkers of tomorrow have um, a strong understanding in their pocket and make a difference. And so a lot of ideas when I was at the school was based around solar. Primarily I had that right in front of them. But I liked one idea that was posted on the website and that was we should have solar panel laptop covers. So instead of just, when you pop up your laptop, instead of just having that blinding the sun or near a window, you can actually have a little solar panel and try to charge your own computer via the sun. All in all... The journey just showed that there's a next generation that's thinking outside the box. This one idea posted said, hey, why are we always going to the grocery store to buy a new bottle of Vidal Sassoon hair shampoo or or another bottle of soap? Why don't we bring our old containers and there should just be big pumps and we start pumping and refilling instead of wasting these plastic bottles. And... All in all, all these students that I spoke to and saw, they all were thinking, you know, different ways outside what they generically have seen. They're all pushing, pushing the barriers. And um, one high school here in Sacramento, I was racing up and down the hallways. They really liked to see how fast I could go on this thing. And so I do a shout-out, 12 miles per hour, 16 miles per hour, And when I would surpassed 20. I mean, the hoops and the haws and the jumps was incredible. And then they wanted to see me break on the dime, and it's with mountain brakes and mountain bike brakes, and it's quite incredible that even going that fast, I could just come to a screeching halt. But after I got off the bike and saw, started talking to one student, he told me his grand idea of having springs underneath the, the hallways so you can actually compress it. He said, students, thousands of students are running up and down the hallways. Why don't we capture the energy by these compressed springs? Brilliant. Another one came up with the idea, so we're just capturing solar power. Why don't we capture the full moon's power? Do you know how bright the moon is at night? Why don't we get those rays? Let's do it. And I'm sure that gentleman's going to be the next one to do it. And then I had a a fun time. This was um, in Southern California. There was a student. I was just leaving another classroom. It was a biology class where I was giving a seminar. And I concluded the class still had maybe 15 minutes left of discussion. I was pushed the bike out as I was rolling out, this girl, Emily, comes bounding out of the classroom, chases me down. Like, hey, Emily, how are you? I don't think you're in that class. She said, no, I've been watching for you to exit out the window. And I just told my teacher I had to use the the bathroom really quickly. She's like, I can't talk long, but can you stay around for two more hours? I am the head editor of our local or our school newspaper, and I'd love to write a story on you. It's like, absolutely, Emily, I'll stick around for three hours, whatever you need. Go run back into class. Your bathroom break's probably over, and we'll discuss later. So it was great to pick her brain and go back into the journalistic mindset and spin some ideas with her. So where do I stand now? This journey, like the other three times when I was standing in Cape Canaveral, Florida, or in Freiburg, or in Barcelona, has launched me to a new level. So standing here in San Francisco has taken me to a new site. And um, yeah, I've been grappling with some ideas. The roadside commentary I heard was I was riding the fat man's bicycle. And um, there was a lot of flack given for the sake, why don't you just bike? That's totally feasible. But the mission wasn't necessarily to say, "Um, I'm going to substitute a bicycle. The idea was, I can substitute a car. I can get around just as easily and make the distance and perhaps don't need to buy a car. This can become my main form of transportation. Also far too expensive and impractical. I have to agree a bit with that for the sake. Someone did say I should patent this idea, but it doesn't really seem realistic to drag around a huge solar panel, 11 square feet, and uh, add the additional weight of 100 pounds. But this was more or less a demonstration to start engaging people. But I do see us getting on electric bikes and the early uh, earlier idea of having a docking station where when you're at work missing the sunshine inside or when you're in the classroom, you're getting your bikes charged up, ready to take you home. There's a lot of enthusiasm for students saying, come back in the fall. I'd love to see you again. So that has planted a bug. I would love to cross the country, perhaps on a different set of wheels. Um, but being back in California has been incredible. I've kind of dived into the whole setting here. I had the opportunity to go to the Future of Transportation Summit in Sacramento. I returned there and met the governor, had maybe 10 seconds of his time, where I quickly said my few words, and he gave a nod and walked away. But it still was exhilarating to come up and close to the governor. There's a California climate ride going on, which um, is here in September, the first time it's coming to the West Coast and it's cyclists going from Eureka down to San Francisco, and they're going to be raising awareness for climate issues, and then every evening having a speaker come and talk about different environmental issues and how to combat them. And then, again, being in San Francisco in the city has just been incredible to go to different green drink opportunities, Eco Tuesdays, the Climate One here at the Commonwealth Club. The ideas are endless, and it's just stirring my curiosity. And so last night... Just as I did two months ago, I sat down and started sketching. This journey left its mark, and it left its mark on a horrific tan line. It's a bit hard to see, but um, that's tan, that's not. And um, it's a bit deeper, though. I I can't shake this journey, and I'm really trying to shape the next move, my next sketch, to my next goal. And so last night, I was sitting down, and I started going. And... This direction, it's gonna be a new ride, and I wanna keep the adventure alive of my SOMBA, my solar motorized bicycle adventure. I'm Gonna engage the the students now that school's back in session. I gained green ambassadors with every school that I went to. I would open it up after the seminar and say, hey, does anyone wanna stay in contact for you to field questions and for me to keep updating you on my journey? And coincidentally enough, most of the, the people that raised their hands to be my green ambassadors were all girls, women, which is fitting for the event here, but it was exciting to see them excited about um, energy renewables. And so I'd like to keep that connection alive with the high schools and have this newsletter go out pretty frequently. And what I'd really like to do is offer another hands-on ability within high schools. So in talking to different high school teachers, they said, hey, what we're missing is real tangible Projects, You know, we can build some solar cells, but you coming through, that was exciting, exciting to see something in motion and reaching a destination. So what I'd like to offer, start working on, which I currently am, is an upgrade to traditional bicycles. We've been advancing. Everyone's with iPods cruising around. The bicycle's been around for 50 more years, and it hasn't really changed. A lot of bicycles are sitting in a, in a garage, a lot of dust on them. So I'd like to take that dust off and do an upgrade, provide a relatively inexpensive upgrade kit with a front hub or a rear hub wheel with a motor, and then um, a battery pack, and go to the schools and actually engage the students and have them work on this with me as I go through. So take one hour. I've spoken to a couple upgrade kit companies, and it's feasible within the hour, and offer them that opportunity to then go home, teach their family, friends, and get the bicycles up and running uh, again, ideally, longer in the future, I'd like to get these solar stations. So instead of you going down the streets and seeing a bike rack, it would be a docking station. Hopefully, bikes, really, electric bikes hit the market. We've seen a huge upswing in China. They have 120 million bicycles, electric bicycles, humming around on the road. Europe is following pretty quickly. And the U.S., it's picking up momentum. I think the two barriers we see are, one, the, the cyclists that say, hey, I, I just want a bike. I don't need the extra assistance. And then on the other side, it's... um Lost my, my train of thought. But on the other side, there's another group of people that are somewhat repelling and fighting. Oh, yeah, for the sake Americans, I think we tend to jump in our cars pretty easily and frequently for the five-minute drive to the grocery store to school that might be four miles away because we can play the radio or have a heater on or the air conditioner on, but I'd have to say, in being in Europe and having a moto, you go through rainstorms, they don't care. You're out there getting pelted, and they're just more weatherproof, and so I think eventually once we start getting out and realizing the fresh air feels good, even if it is a bit cold, it's still a great way for transporting around a town. So connecting into my future, though, my new sketch, the real hook that I found and the inspiration on this journey was a public engagement and changing our behavior. We're really at a tipping point here with energy and what is going to be the next source of energy and I'd love to continue the dialogue and so professionally I'm looking into staying in communications marketing but looking into ener- energy efficiency and the smart grid. I'd love to be involved in upgrading the get- the grid since that's our first step before we can really integrate renewable energy, solar, wind, because of the volatility. If the sun's not shining, how can we rely solely on that energy and the grid isn't compatible enough to adapt? So I'd love to to stay involved with that. And what's keeping me upright and moving forward is the family and friends. Thank most of you for coming. Most are family and friends. I appreciate you guys being here. But uh, you're keeping the seat cushion soft and me pedaling forward. And what's really steering me is my own curiosity which stem from Freiburg being in that solar city and seeing the potential in 1994, what Rolf Deesch created. And um, I haven't let that go. So it's been for three years that I daily am researching and seeing a new trend or a breakthrough in the market every week, which keeps me uh, engaged. And of course, the impact, the influence. We are really, like I said, at this tipping point, and we have the potential to change, change the way we act, respond, and use energy. And so I'd like to conclude saying I hope the sun is always shining and the wind is at our back carrying us forward. Thank you so much.
3: Uh, you've been listening to a program of the Commonwealth Club of California. Our speaker is Marissa Muller, whose uh, topic is spin it green, the story of her bike ride around California on a solar-powered bicycle. So now we have time for some uh, audience uh, questions. So does anyone uh, have an audience have a, have a question. We have an audience. Do so we have a question? Okay, I, ha- I have one. You mentioned the word uh, tipping point," And so I, you know I've been reviewing some of the polls and so forth, and it seems like we live in a little bubble here in, this, in the San Francisco Bay Area, where everyone believes in this stuff, and you know we all agree. uh, But when you get out into other parts of the country, there's a lot less understanding of these issues and more skepticism. So what do we need to do to take the tipping point, to get to the tipping point in other parts of the country? I mean, do we need a whole bunch of uh, people like you uh, riding their uh, solar-powered bikes around Arkansas and so forth?
0: That would be great. I would love to continue the mission and kind of pass the baton. I finish California, pass it off to the next state. But realistically, I think what the tipping point would really compel it and move it forward for other states to follow suit and be after California's price. I mean, cost matters. And until the price of these renewables really comes down and people say, okay, I can get involved and you know, not have to pay much more, I think they will jump on and help bring us over. There was a study just published this week, Duke University, said it's the first time in the Carolinas that the price of solar is cheaper than nuclear, 16 cents per kilowatt hour is at tipping point, and now it's at about 14 cents for solar. So we're seeing the trend. It's not in California, which is great to hear, so other states are looking into it. But I think, yeah, that keeping the enthusiasm, the dialogue open, and there's, of course, a question of policy. So you know, pushing the government forward and having people somewhat lead, lead the way.
3: Question here.
2: This is not really a question, and just a comment. And it seems to me that what's also important is to change the road infrastructure so that bicycles uh, will be welcomed on the road. Um, and I, I'm uh, next month. I'm going to go to Holland. Where have you been to Holland? And uh, you can talk about what you saw in Holland. Where roads are designed for bicycles why don't you tell us about that
0: yeah i think you're absolutely right that is a big barrier to get people on a bike to be cruising the streets freely and without a worry is by having bike lanes i know san francisco is doing some strong moves forward to put bike lanes in but like you said in europe it's a completely different story amsterdam is where i've been as well as berlin spent time and was one of the cyclists down the streets there i can speak more freely about Berlin, and what they have actually is um, a red bike lane and then the traditional car lane. That red bike lane, it's more dangerous to be crossing that bike lane than it is to be crossing a car lane. I mean, cyclists are ruthless there. You are on your mission. You're getting to the office, and you ring that bell to get the person off your red strip. So, yeah, it's a different culture, a different mentality, and there they, they lead the roads. So, it, yeah, we've got to make the change, but it, it's an investment to, to get that in. But I think California is pushing forward. Marissa, can you talk a little bit about the
2: different regulations uh, globally? Uh, many countries have, uh, pardon me, many countries have uh, increasing regulation about the distance and speed that some of these vehicles can can go. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: So electric vehicles, I only can speak of California, so it's actually state by state. It varies. In California, you cannot exceed 20 miles per hour on an electric bike, because then you should not be in a bike lane. It becomes dangerous for cyclists. It somewhat makes sense. Um, So that's the cap on speed. And, yeah, there's some... The watts on the motor, I think 500 currently, is uh, the top of the line, and that's what I was riding. Again, that's engaging with speed. So an electric bike, if you go faster than 20 miles per hour or have a, a, a larger motor, it's called uh, an electric moto. <laughs> yeah, so that's also a great thing. In riding an electric bike, you don't have to be... Um, you don't need a special driver's license. You can be 16 and hop aboard. You have to wear a helmet, which is smart. Can you use
3: that mic? Okay. uh Other question? So, Marissa, after all those many miles on the road, what do you think is the most efficient way to actually harvest solar energy? Is it a, a cell like this, or
1: is it a, a big sill that can actually send a lot of power to our grid?
0: Yeah, so I think the question really stems on are you a resident or are you looking to be a utility in creating energy for residents of course photovoltaic pv what i was using is the best bet and there are a lot of initiatives with companies here Sunrun, run solar city which are more or less leasing your rooftop to get you solar power and get you off oil and whatnot but if you go large scale there's um Concentrated solar power, so CSP or CPV, also with photovoltaic, and that's um, using parabolic troughs. So it's a bit different than what I was writing, but using mirrors and more or less focusing the energy on a pipe, which perhaps has water to create steam. The steam turns a turbine. Currently, that's a little less expensive per kilowatt hour than a PV. But both of the technologies are really racing forward, and it's, like I said, whoever's going to come down in cost and increase in efficiency will be the successful story.
1: Can you also explain uh, what the, um, uh, the, the uh, uh, great parity situation is with wind power, meaning what the yeah. price per uh, yeah, kilowatt yeah. hour is? Yeah.
0: I believe right now wind is, well, wind in the 1980s, I think it was $0.72 cents per kilowatt hour, and right now it's at $0.05 cents per kilowatt hour. So it's really come down, and, yeah, it is the leading renewable energy. Granted, it has been in in movement, and they've developed the technology far longer than others, so it's been able to come down in cost. I'm not really sure why wind power hasn't picked up. I know the Midwest is just a wind tunnel, and they should really be harnessing that power, while California, we really have the sunshine, so it makes logical sense for us to use PV I know T. Bone Pickens had the Pickens Plan for his one gigawatt wind farm, and um, he was moving forwards, really pushing this, and then suddenly retracted. And it pretty much came down to transmission is a major issue. So these wind farms are out nowhere. So building out transmission is a major holdup. Financing, of course, all these projects, uh, the upfront costs are incredible, and you know with the shaky banks, you don't know if you'll actually get the loan agreement. Though the government's stepping in just last week they the government had a 1.6 billion dollar deal to Abengoa, a Spanish company doing concentrated solar power. And so they're moving forward with some plants, but yeah, the real hold up is transmission and then, you know, making sure the grid can uptake the different the the energy. But you're right, wind is a leader.
3: Marissa, well I, I know it's imperative to uh um store solar energy and and uh keep you know going down this one path. I think it'd be very important if you could tell us how we could tap your energy.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's a great question. I finally <laughs> stumped you. Okay. But talking about storage, that is a critical question currently with solar panel and so solar with molten salt trying to store it. And that's actually where electric vehicles in the future could step in to actually be the battery storage. So let's say you have solar on your roof and you have an e-vehicle, you can plug it in and any excess from the sun you have, you can actually store in your ve- your electric vehicle. So it's going to become a battery system, but Currently storage is a real hiccup and holdup. How to store my own energy, I'm not quite sure. I should figure that out too. Uh,
2: I understood that your mission was to gather ideas from especially the high school kids, so can you tell us some of the ideas that you remember?
0: Yeah, there are quite a number, so I highlighted a few of them with the containers instead of currently buying a new shampoo bottle or soap to refill. I like that idea as well as a solar panel laptop to have on top of your laptop. Another idea that just popped into my mind was steam. So I spoke earlier about concentrated solar power, which is pretty much having the mirrors heat the water to create steam to turn a turbine. One of the students said, hey, in the morning when I take my hot shower, I have the door shut and there's so much steam in the bathroom. Why can't we harness that somehow and maybe run the hairdryer by capturing it? I thought, you know, curious. I'm by no means an engineer. I don't really know how you would push it forward. But, yeah, the dialogue was, was open. Another student, the concept, they were thinking of electric vehicles, but it was um, rather entertaining to hear. He said, we all should be riding bumper cars. We then wouldn't have to worry about accidents. It's a clean way. You know, having that electric grid above could cause some sparks. But we'd all be happier. When you're in a bumper car, you're just having a good time. So, I mean, I think if you look deeper, the idea was kind of electric vehicles, more or less. And so having no exhaust or harmful emissions. But the ideas on the website, have, I think, just around 200 ideas that came in, shy of my 1,000 marker. It was a bit of a lofty dream. I came up one night with my brother and his girlfriend here, and uh, we developed this idea of 1,000 for 1,000. And it was tough because school was getting out for summer. It was good for me, like I said, to get that invitation onto campus because a lot of the teachers were saying, hey, students are starting to check, up, they're, check out. They're getting the summer fever. We'd love for you to step in. And I think the hardest hook for me was being there, being present, and engaging them. But that next level of getting them to the website to upload the idea was just kind of broken. So I lost a lot of them. But I like to keep it open and continue the ideas. So that means I just have to hop on the bike and keep cruising around and talking the talk.
2: So the people on the radio can't see me, but I'm an old lady. And I remember when I was younger than you reading Jack and Jill magazine. And the... There was an idea that there would be like a freeway. Uh, I, I remember this because you you mentioned the bumper car. Okay, so the freeways that we've already got that infrastructure. If there was some kind of a something on the freeway that you could just drive in to the freeway and and somehow it would work. Your car would work like a bumper car on that on that freeway you take it from there. Yeah, the ideas
0: are endless. That's the incredible thing. I mean, I love creativity. And I think we have to continue to think outside the box, be creative with our highway system, whatever it might be to propel us forward. Uh, Some new things that are coming into the market, which I'm sure stem from a wild creative idea are fibers. So they're integrating fibers into pants and jeans. So perhaps the next Levi's or Diesel's that you wear whatever the flashy gene is these days, they'll have these fibers, so it actually captures your kinetic energy. So just by walking up and down the steps, you're flexing the fibers, creating energy, and you'll have a little battery pack in the back of your pocket, charging your cell phone or uh, iPhone. So yeah, it all stems from the creative ideas. So keep them, um, keep thinking, post them to the website, and I'm sure they'll develop in a couple years. I have a question. Um, how comfortable was this bike compared to a regular touring bike that's a great question. Uh, there are two things. I should have perhaps trained or at least been sitting on a bike a couple of months prior to the departure. <laughs> sitting on any type of bike for a while hurts. You're just sitting, and it's not very comfortable. But that was par for the course. Like I said, I should have maybe trained on a, a road bike or something. But it does look deceivingly large, the the frame. And I know in talking to other women, they were somewhat intimidated just to get their leg over the the rainbow arch here. And the truth of the matter, it's smaller and more compact. I felt completely fluid in motion. I didn't Even having this trailer behind me, I felt confident. It almost gave me more stability, I think. The bike was, yeah, incredibly comfortable. The throttle was one kind of annoyance I had, but we were able to tweak it. And instead of pushing my thumb up, pushing it down, or vice versa, just so I didn't have the blister that was forming there. But it was absolutely comfortable. It has six gears, so that gives you the ability to work a bit harder if you want to get a workout, work a sweat, which I kind of would do intervals, allowing myself to get a little bit of a workout while I was on the journey. And I had a rule for myself. Any wrong turn I made, I had to bike back. I couldn't use the motor, which is slow since it's 160 pounds I was pulling. But it was, yeah, an incredibly comfortable setting and environment.
3: For for a while, I was um, playing with the idea of of having solar power on my roof, which I would use to charge my electric motorcycle, yeah. and then I would use that to go to Bart, you know, to come into the city and so forth. So that that's that turns out to be entirely feasible, except for the the wife factor. The combination wife motorcycle <laughs> doesn't fly when you're sixty something years old, but. Uh, what, but I, I did have solar panels put on my roof, and I discovered uh, that it's actually making a profit for me. Right. Now, because we don't, at our house, we don't use much power during the middle of the day. And PG&E pays us 30 cents a kilowatt hour for what we send to them. And then at the, in the dead of night, it's only 8 cents per kilowatt hour. So that's when you could charge your electric bike uh, on the 8 cents and sell, during the day, sell to PG&E the 30 cents. That's how you make money on the solar power, solar panels on your roof. But in the process of thinking this through, I realized that maybe an electric bike was more feasible than an electric motorcycle. And uh, I, I know that there are some electric bikes that are available uh, through mass market outlets. Do you, Do you know anything about uh, what what the options are for buying electric bikes now, just uh, at regular shops around the place?
0: Yeah, so that's actually a curious question. And earlier when I was developing that business plan back in Barcelona, the retail chain for electric bikes is also a barrier. And currently I've found here Best Buy is the venue for electric bikes these days. They have about seven different models in the store. And actually before selecting this, I ran to the Best Buy, the local Best Buy, and tested an A2B bicycle, which actually is here in San Francisco, uh, one of the tourists groups, um, a touring group, has the electric bike for tourists to come and cruise around on, and that's an A2B model. It's somewhat similar with the 500-watt motor to the bicycle that I was riding. The design is a bit different. It looks a little more like a motor or a moto scooter, and I wanted to continue with the trend of a bicycle just to keep that parallel and going through, but you're right. The retail chain is developing. It hasn't really reached capacity, but Best Buy right now is the place to currently by
1: um, i know the conversation has uh, revolved a bit around um, solar kinetic and, and wind um, but i wondered if the conversation especially with the classes that you've visited um, also touched on newer technologies like uh, fuel cells or the recently discussed um, bloom box yeah. uh, technologies which are also uh kind of hot in the news right now and i, I kind of i wondered how much uh, you guys discuss those types of things.
0: I wish we discussed it. Bloom Energy, I find completely bewildering. What it is is a fuel cell, pretty much stacked layers. I don't know the deep-down technology behind it, but they have it at Google and eBay and some other venues, so it actually creates energy within this box. It's a magic box, if you will. But on pricing, it's about on par with solar panel solar right now, I think 11 cents per, per kilowatt hour. It wasn't much of a discussion for the sake... I don't think the students were really aware of it. I could have definitely brought it up or third-generation algae-based biofuels would have been a great topic. I'm curious, you know, algae, harvesting algae, and a lot of the oil companies are going into that just because it fits their business model. But the discussion really and the ideas were based upon solar. I wish I had, you know, a juggling system and could flash out some other renewable energy ideas for the sake, yeah, it did hone in primarily on solar and electric vehicles in general.
1: Um, Marissa, I just want to comment on the uh, the retail question that came before regarding electric bikes. Um, there's a couple of things. There's a little bit of pushback when you have these vehicles in a, in a traditional bike shop because you have people that go in looking for road bikes, mountain bikes, especially if you live in a place where, like, this bike is built in, in Marin. Um, People want to get on two wheels and they want to hammer, whether, again, it's a road bike or the mountain bike. So it's been a little bit of a push to get uh, that sort of vehicle in. Shops like Mike's Bikes have started to uh, turn around, actually, because people that do hammer on their two wheels like to be on two wheels, and they feel that they don't want to get in a car to go to work. They want to be able to be on two wheels and not sweat. And um, they're finding that their customers are starting to to grow from that. Um, Regarding Best Buy... Um, Pi, we just, just we just finalized a, or finalizing a deal with them, and plan on having the bike available with the rest of the mix uh, in the spring. So we're we're gearing up for production with that. Um, we do have a customer that lives in Ross, who works in the city, and he on occasion does ride his bike, his pie Cycle, to the city and charges it while he's at work and, and rides it back. So it's a it's a pretty vibrant space. And I'd encourage anybody that's, like, interested in what Best Buy is doing. They're, they're early adopters in all of this, and they're helping to fund some of the research that's going on with small companies. But they have a website called bestbuylabs.com, and you can find out a lot about what's going on. They're a very proactive company and very switched on. And we don't work for them. We're just – we like them. Like that's why we're, uh, we want to sell our product with them.
0: It's true, and it's pretty fun. You go to the Best Buy, and they let you test ride all the bikes in the back parking lot. So it's fun to just zip around. But I did learn the hard way: you have to have closed-toed shoes, so you can't ride it with flip-flops. So I had to return another day with my tennis shoes on. Um,
3: we, you've been listening to a, a, a program at the Commonwealth Club of California. Our speaker has been Marissa Muller, who rode around California a thousand miles on her electric-powered or solar-powered uh, bicycle. And join me in thanking Marissa for her comments here tonight. This program of the Commonwealth Club is adjourned.